Welcome to the Think It, Make It podcast. We're all about turning your ideas into reality with a CNC router, tips and tricks, new products, interviews with the pros, and much, much more. Whether you're using a CNC for business or hobby, we have great stuff in store for you. Let's get on with the show! Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 18 of the Think It, Make It podcast. I am Eric, and I'm here with Greg and Bobby. Welcome back, everybody. All right, so uh, we're pretty excited. This is the third episode now we've done with the three of us, and uh, we're having a lot of fun here doing it. Um, it's uh, we're, we're starting to get some feedback online and some email and we had a customer here the other day that wanted to sit in and do an interview. So that'll be something we'll post with you, uh, in the near future. But yeah, we're, we're very excited about this and, uh, we have tons of stuff to talk about a uh, huge list. Uh, we're going to tackle a few things this week, including giving you an update on where we're each at with our think it, make it challenge projects. Uh, but before we get into that, I wanted to start off, we got a comment on the website and, um, it's from Matt Smith and, Really, we really appreciate him taking the time to put this. He just said, good morning. I want to let you know how much I've enjoyed your podcast, recently discovered them, and I've been binge listening for the last few days. I built my CNC 30 by 27 inch from scratch about a year ago, and I'm still learning and trying to hear what others are experiencing. I'm very interested in the Q404, and as soon as I can demonstrate that I and make and sell a project, I will pursue it more. Thanks again for all the useful information you provide, and I will continue listening. Awesome. So, yeah, thanks, Matt. We appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Matt. And we appreciate any comments uh, from anybody. That's that's how we're going to keep um, redirecting this podcast and making sure we're giving you guys the content that you need. So, so I think we need to start off with a little update as to where we're each at with the Think and Make It Challenge. But before we get into an update, one of us still has to tell what they're doing or project. Um, so for the last week, I've been hiding out in my office because every time I see Eric and Bobby, it's, do you have your idea yet? Do you have your idea yet? And I thought I had a really good idea. I really thought I, I from a top down, I thought I could be very successful with that. Um, and in that, realized I didn't have a single product to make. Um, so for the last week, I've been listening to that. But uh, I, I kind of did a 180 with that. I uh, Instead of going, doing the research, you know, trying to make a product based off what the market is is showing, um, I flipped a switch. I, I I thought, let's keep it simple, stupid. Let's let's do something that you can do, you know you can do, that's close to your heart. Um, and one of those things that I've been really wanted to do, so this came out of necessity, um, was a, a pet memorial. Pet memorial urn box type thing. Um, my my family just lost our, our dog of 13 years, I think. Um, and my mom has been asking me, can we do something special? You know, can we we make something special and memorialize that. And that's what I think I'm going to go with for that. Um, it's very sad. <laughs> I was in a good mood and smiling. Now I'm thinking about their, their pet. Their oh yeah. On, no, you, so. when you heard me bawling my eyes out in my office, that's, that was the research I was doing to see what's, what's on the market there. Okay. Um, so what are your, what are your thoughts? What's this uh, memorial type that you're talking about? Like a memorial that you put in the ground after you bury the animal? Or are you talking about an urn that you put? So initially, you- initially, I had come up with the idea to do a nice little urn, you know, a nice customized box urn, um, because the I, I have ashes from my first pet. 
Um, and that, that was a nice, it, it was a cheap box that they gave me. It was like a piece of crap. And, um, I thought how cool it would be to kind of do that. Um, but you're it, it kind of, I thought maybe I don't want to display this in my living room. Um, that's not the best. It, it, it is kind of morbid in a sense. I just keep um, thinking of, um, meet the parents in that movie where they're exactly. So one of the things that that's important to me is I've, I've always kept his collar. His collar was was super close to me. It's like one of those things, you know. It's in it's been in my um, my toolbox in my garage for for ten years, and it's probably my most prized possession. But you would never know it. So I thought, how do we? How is? How can we make this a little less morbid, but also you know bring joy, bring memorialize them? Um, and that's when I came up with the the collar display. Um, I think that's that's what I'm going to go with is the personalized collar display. Where it's going to be 100% personalized, so you're you're I th- and we're going to start with a dog um, because I don't know many other pets that wear collars. Cats, cats wear collars. Okay, I'm not a cat guy, but I think we'll we'll start with the dogs. So we'll go with the dog collar display. Um, 100% personalized display the collar, and that's something that you know I'd be happy to put in my living room. So what do you envision this thing to look like? Square. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, it's gonna be yeah. Square. No, there, there's a couple things <laughs> right. I saw online um, where where people are doing it, but basically it's going to uh, you know have the have the collar wrap around, um, have either an, an inlay or epoxy pour. And I, I think epoxy is a little bit too bright and and fun for this type of thing. I think a nice warm inlay with some good woods would be you know kind of kind of heartfelt from the heart, give it a better feel, um, and then just the display of the collar so that it can wrap around. It can go kind of like a picture frame. Um, maybe, maybe raise it up a little bit on a, on a little stand, something, something along those lines. Okay. So now it's going to be a wall plaque or. Yeah. Yeah. Either a wall plaque or something you can, you know, put on your, your drawer, your nightstand, your dresser, whatever. It's going to, going to be a little stand. So you could either, um, think picture frames, that sort of thing. What about using the laser and lasering, uh, an image of the actual pet into. That's what I was really excited to talk to you guys about because I, the three things I had down was number one, a laser, having an image. Um, number two, an inlay, which I, I'm going to do an inlay for the, you know, the, the pet's name, all that good stuff. Um, I thought about a 3D carving as well. I think that'd be a little bit trickier to, to get a 3D carving because um, neither, neither of us, we're not 3D artists here. Right. You would have to probably send an image out and have somebody convert it to 3D for you. And I, I've actually tried that. I tried that on Fiverr once with um, something I was making for my girlfriend with our, our current dog, Sadie. Um, and it came out okay two-dimensionally. But I asked them for a three-dimensional carving, and it didn't look that great. I have two people that I use that are over um, overseas. Unfortunately, one of them is in Ukraine, um, and she's been... Uh, not having a really tough time. She's safe and everything, but um, yeah, I've been following. Have you made posts. contact recently. Yeah, yeah. She 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 posts on uh, groups online all the time, and um, but she's been she's really good for stuff like that because I send her the image. She usually charged me oh, 60, 80 bucks, something like that, and then we'll fully convert it. Um, we have a project still that we need to do that I had converted from Chris, uh, one of one of our employees who passed away. A while back um, was a magician and I have a really cool picture of him and his magician hat hovering like a steel ball at a, a town festival we had here and um, I've been wanting I, I, I took the picture gave it to her she made it into a 3d uh, relief carving and 
the problem was I didn't want to do a plaque out of wood. I really wanted to do it out of aluminum. So I just haven't had uh, the time and I'm going to make time to do that. I think uh, doing a full 3D carving of that in aluminum and then having it anodized would be really, really cool. And the there was no immediate rush because the parents, his parents are doing, uh, they're, they're working with the town and they're making this wooden footbridge um, in, in this park that they used to go to all the time. And that should be done by the end of summer. So I was going to make this out of aluminum so it could be a dedication plaque that would go outside and I don't have to worry about it getting, you know, rotting or anything like that. So interesting. Very cool. Yeah. But that'll be, um, that, but that's what you would have to do if you did 3d carving, unless you really want to learn something like blender, um, even, even aspire, you can do some of that with, but, but programs like blender are really, really, really good for, for that sort of thing. But that's an art into itself. Yeah, that people go to school for a long time for that, and that's um, that's interesting. You bring that up because you can use three D models in V Carve. You can one hundred percent bring in a model that's already been made. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you cannot design. You cannot create a hundred percent three D model for that. You would need Vetric Aspire. Yep, you would need or it. or a different program. Can you do it in Fusion three hundred and sixty? Yeah, you could do sculpting. It's not really Fusion three hundred and sixty. Is not really designed for that. It's designed more for like making um, mechanical type stuff like if you want to make a rounded cover for a project or something it's better suited for that a blender is the program everybody really talks about when you get into taking a 2d picture and making a 3d relief carving out of it um so for now i'd have to start with outsourcing the 3d um, but that would bring the wow factor that would bring that because all our 3d models here that are our 3d carvings on the walls here those are the wow factors. You know, those are the customers they come in and they're wow look at that well especially because they look at them and none of them have ever required any sanding. They just get uh, carved and then immediately um, stained or sealed, and then that's how they sit. So, with the right tool path, in you, you don't. I don't like sanding, so I just program better. Um, so your project is going to be a a plaque on the wall. The laser might be cool to, to put. The laser would be the easier option of the of the two with between the three D carving because the laser you can simply take an image. Um, there's two options for the laser. You can do it in Vetric, or you can do it in the built-in laser plugin in UCCNC. And that thing is super simple. You literally load the image and you press start. Um, you know, you have to tweak the settings a little bit to get the desired look, uh, but you can literally laser an image right in there. You know, it'd be cool if you want to just be different because anybody could laser an image of their 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 pet on a, a piece of wood and put names and all that. But what if you make the plaque out of wood? But the image of the animal is done as a, um, like the, uh, out of the candlestone, and you backlight it. Ooh. Right? So what if you, what if you did that? So now it's a 3D backlit. Um, and why is the name uh, not coming to my head right now of what that's called? I'm, uh, I'm drawing a complete blank right now. You'd use either candlestone or Corian. Mm-hmm. Um, to do that, it's going to come to me, but right now it, it hasn't, but you know what I'm talking to? Cause I, I have the one out there of, um, your family, your yeah, family. the one of my family and the one of Michelle and I, um, it's out there somewhere that, that, that could be kind of cool because you can do an oval of that. All you need is a little led strip behind it and you can, then you can have the name, do a name plaque. So instead of, so in other words, what I'm thinking to make it more interesting and to make it stand out is instead of just taking a piece of wood, 
lasering the information on, I mean, anybody can do that. Even if you have one of the cheap Amazon Chinese lasers, you can do that. Uh, you know, you can go to uh, Michael's and buy a plaque already cut, right? And laser it and then clear coat it and you're done. But to make it really stand out, I would make a nice plaque design, use the CNC to, to come up with a, you know, a nice edge around it. Maybe if you wanted to do an inlay band around it or something, you can do that. But then the plaque that had the pet's information, maybe do out of um, like a brass plate or uh, the the Johnson plastics, um, the Romark plastic, you know, where, where it looks like brass. But then when you carve into it, it changes colors. So you don't have to worry about painting. No, nope, not a die bond. It, and I have some out in the shop. I'll show you what it is. And and when, you know, if Greg decides he wants to do this, of course, we'll share all this information and the products we're using. No, I love it. I, I was trying to think of a way to incorporate the the picture of the pet without, you know, just slapping a, a photo on there. Because that's there's nothing with CNC with that. Um, and I absolutely love that idea of the candlestone and, and carving that out and backlighting it. Because I, I thought about doing an edge-lit acrylic thing. Um, but to me, acrylic is more upbeat you know more like a, a nightlife kind of a little bit more fun yep. and this is less of a, a fun thing and more of a heartfelt memorial type thing so i absolutely love that idea yeah i don't know just uh something something different um and i am still trying to think of the name lithophane lithophane ah i, I had to google it real quick i was i was going uh going crazy trying to figure out was yeah doing a, a lithophane you know see 3d carve um, the candlestone, that'd be the easiest thing uh, to use. It's cheap material, but a couple LED strips behind it. And, uh, you know, you'd have, you could, I guess you could do it with a a, bat, a small battery pack if you wanted to be, or just, you know, put a plug in it and run a power supply and have it be. To me, that would be cool. That's a good way to memorialize Love it. it. Then just a standard. Absolutely. Uh, standard plaque that's what i would do that's that was my final thing here was how to incorporate that and that's that is the the best idea we, i've heard yet but then then you're incorporating multiple cnc applications or or uh pro, um, materials and and machining types and stuff into one project i think that would be cool and that's the that's the wow factor i'm looking for that that special wow how'd you do this yeah i mean my my first test subject is going to be my my family mother and father if they're wowed by it then yeah, no, I we have good to go. Family sales don't count in this competition. Yeah, right? no, you can't sell it to your family. Because nope. I can that just have my wife buy mine. <laughs> that was never a rule. <laughs> we yeah. said we were making them up as we go. All, all we? our moms are going to buy yeah, stuff. <laughs> um, so what about you, Bobby? Where are you at with your project? I am looking into material cost. Um, I probably should have thought about that a little bit further last week. Um, I'm looking at changing the material. Um, I can find a three quarter inch thick, um, 48 by 96 sheet of maple for about $70 at Lowe's save a little bit. Um, as opposed to using like the cabinetry ply, like we spoke about last week. So really just trying to dive in on the actual cost to create the cornhole boards initially. Um, see where we can kind of go from there to cut the cost as much as possible without mm -hmm. losing kind of how good the product's going to end up. Well, have you given any thought to how you're going to do the designs on them? Uh, inlay epoxy or, um, uh, I haven't fully gotten that far yet. I'm not going to lie. Okay. <laughs> We're all really on, uh, on, on top of things here. It's uh, in all fairness, it's been a very busy week. And, uh, this is one of the things I was kind of a little nervous about. And that's why I didn't want to set like hard, fast goals for every week. But 
Um, we we purposely don't talk about this outside of this room right exactly. here. No, other than bugging Greg to ask if he had it. We didn't even ask what it was. He he was like, you want to know? And we're both like, no, I, I wanted to find out. We just we need to know it. that you have a product. Yeah, that you finally <laughs> have, have a product. So that's good. Yeah, and the reason we do that is, you know, we want to show the process. We want to show what it takes, what what we're thinking about, what everything that goes into it. We're, we're not trying to hide anything here. And Well, the other interesting thing, too, is we're not – further along than we are because we've all been busy. So uh, anybody who's listening to this that is thinking about starting a, a, a project or making a product to sell, if you have a full-time job and a family, you're going to experience the same thing too. There's only 24 hours in a day and you have to sleep some of them. So uh, it doesn't leave a lot of a lot of time you know, to, to do that. If you're fortunate enough to not have to work or you're retired or uh, you, maybe you have your own business and you have a little bit more free time perhaps than other people, um, then, you know, you can certainly tackle it quicker. Uh, like in my house, you know, I have a, I have a machine, but my, um, some of my family is in bed pretty early. So even though the machine's out in my workshop, you, you know, when you're, when it's, you're carving something and you're, and it's making a real whiny noise, you can hear that through the house. So my time is limited at home to do stuff. So I usually will come in here and use the machine on the weekend to try to get, you know, anything personal done. Um, so that's, that's another challenge. My project, uh, I have everything ordered for it. So, uh, I have it all sketched out how I want to do it. I've made a couple of changes. Um, since it's going to be a display case, the, the four sides, I, you know, I can do a standard rabbit joint, uh, and glue it up, but that's kind of boring for a CNC. I mean, a rabbit joints, certainly a CNC joint, you're going to pocket out the corner and, you know, make a lap joint on it. Uh, but I've been doing some research and there are a lot of really specialized CNC joinery that I've seen. Um, some of it comes from Japanese joinery, which is there, there's a lot, I forgot the name. It's, it's a, it's an odd name, but there, it's, it's, these really, instead of think of like a dovetail joint, but they're, they're, they're very complex. Um, and there's a series of joinery that I've, I've seen some stuff on online that, uh, is very it's it's all CNC specific. So I want to do corner joints that are, you know, something that you wouldn't be able to do easily by hand. That the CNC would definitely give you a a better um, out out you know better outcome. Plus, uh, it'll be interesting to see because if you look at the display from the side, you're going to see the corner joinery. So you'll you know I'd I'd like to see something you know, different. So that's that's kind of what I'm playing with right now. But my goal would be by next week to have it designed, maybe have some test cuts done so I know uh, how it's going to work out. And then um, by the end of the month, I wanted to have, you know, my, my project completed just um, mainly because I want it for my office on the wall. But then I can get into the marketing and how we're going to do the sales aspect. Okay. Agreed. So by next week, we will have prototypes of the project down. Or at least in, we'll in design, design, at least okay. at least in Vetric. You don't have to necessarily have it cut by them. But my goal is by the end of the month. Today is what, the 8th of April. So, uh, yeah, perhaps by the end of April to have a finished product would be a good Do either thing. of you think you're going to use anything other than Vetric? Um, I'm probably just going to stay with Vcarve Pro. I don't think yeah. I need anything more in all honesty. On this particular thing, I'm going to stick with Vetric. I... Uh, I, I, maybe if we do this again, I'm sure we will do this again, or maybe something a little different, but I have some, some fusion project ideas as well. Uh, but for this particular one, for what I'm doing, Vetric is okay. going to be a, 
the easiest thing. And I'm I'm a hundred percent vetric. I I have not dove into Fusion 360 quite yet, so yeah. I think this is going to be vetric across the board. I I like Fusion 360. I've been using it a lot, and uh, I could certainly design the nice aspects. If I design this display case in Fusion, I could see what it looks like in 3D, where I can't do that in vetric. Um, so in in your case, your project is probably going to have maybe three components. So you have your back thing, your nameplate, and then the lithophane part, right? So there's three different layers for three different um, CNC projects. The um, your project is the same thing. It's kind of like mine. It's a top, it's which will have an inlay which you can simulate in Vetric. But if it has the legs and the sides and the bottom and the and you can't really draw that and simulate it in 3D or Fusion, you can create a full 3D project with multiple parts and rotate it and see how everything's going to. It's not fit. a bad idea. Maybe you can model the entire board. Um, you know, you can do your designs in Vetric because it would just be a flat two-dimensional top to the board. Yep. Not gonna, are you going to do any side work or anything like that, or it would just be that top? Uh, probably for Vectric specifically, it's just going to end up being the top. Yeah, so you yeah, could... but you still need the sides and the legs. You, you're not just going to throw a board out on the lawn. Oh, That'd be course. kind of boring. Of course, but in that um, aspect, it's going to be a little bit harder to pull up that model in VCAR Pro, is it not? No. So what I'll do, um, I, I, I had this conversation last week with a customer that wanted to make um, a cabinet design, and all he had was Vectric. And so like there are software programs out there, like one of the ones I'm familiar with is a company called Mosaic, that if you want to make a cabinet for your kitchen or your bathroom, you simply pull the cabinet from their library onto your screen and then make dimension changes. And based on parameters you preset, like what tools are in your machine and what hardware you're going to use, it'll actually take that three-dimensional cabinet and it'll lay it flat onto a sheet and put all the holes in the joinery in it. So Essentially, when you're done machining it, you have a um, uh, like an IKEA piece of furniture that you just simply put together. Now, if you don't have Mosaic or Cabinet Vision or something like that, and you want to make a cabinet, you can do it in Fusion 360. Um, little, definitely more complicated. I would say on the more advanced side of doing things, you can still flatten it. It's not as easy because that program is not really designed for CNC routers. It's more of a uh, parametric design program for, you know, it's great for making mechanical drawings and things like that. Um, Vetric, you can do it. The issue with using Vetric to make something like a cabinet or uh, like your base for your cornhole board, A, you can't see it in three dimensions. So I usually will sketch something on a piece of paper and I'll look at it and figure out how it's going to go. Now, now let's just say, um, let's say you're, you're making, like in my case, I'm, I'm going to have a, a frame for my display cabinet, right? So if, if I want the cabinet to be 16 inches wide, 24 inches tall, then and my, my material is three quarters of an inch thick. Then if I want 16 inches wide, I have to subtract an inch and a half. And my top and bottom piece would be that that would they would be uh, what, 14 and a half inches, right? If I wanted 24 inches tall, my side pieces can still be 24 inches tall, and that's if I use butt joints. So I'm just simply putting the top. I'm just joining the the panels together squarely and then gluing them or mm -hmm. rad nailing. It's a it's a two dimensional yeah. aspect that you and you can you can see it in 3D with a with a Vetric preview. Yeah, kinda. Like there's sort some of. there's some cheats with it that you can do. But let's just say you wanna um 
you want to make that same box, but instead of using a butt joint, you want to use a rabbit or a dado. Now you have to you have to say, okay, on my side panels, I want to do a rabbit that's a quarter inch deep. So now your top piece to keep the same 16 inch width, you have to add a quarter inch extra on either side. And then because you're going to carve away, remove a quarter inch to get that joint in there. Um, it's just a little bit more complicated. So you have to kind of just think it through when you do it in Vetric. And I do it all the time. It's very simple for me to do, but it's it, there, you know, you just have to kind of keep track of everything. Otherwise you'll end up cutting, uh, you know, like, um, I did a bookcase for a friend of mine a while back and it was the same thing. It, it had, um, adjustable shelf holes that had, uh, several, uh, fixed shelves that were dadoed in and, I made a, I didn't make a mistake, thankfully, on the side panels because that would have been a lot of wood wasted. But on one of the shelves, all of the adjustable shelves were a certain width, but the shelves that were fixed had to be wider the depth of the dado on each side. So if it was 20 inch wide shelves and I had a quarter inch dado, then the fixed shelf would have to be 20 and a half inches, right? And it's really important when you're doing stuff like that. So you can't just assume, well, I got three quarter inch plywood. So it's three quarters of an inch because none of the three quarter inch plywood we have in our shop is three quarters of an inch. Something I learned very quickly. Yeah. Never knew that. So if you're making a dado and you're assuming you're using three quarter inch and you measure your wood and it's 0.735, it's going to be a pretty loose, sloppy fit. Right. But if you, if it comes out and it's point, uh, you know, seven, five, eight, now you're not, it's not going to fit. It's going to be too tight. So I usually give myself a five thousandths. Um, you know, I, I usually subtract five thousandths from the thickness. So it's it's that's why having um, calipers and everything is so critical if you're going to do that type of work. So yes, it can be done. It's definitely going to be easier in Vetric than it would be in uh, Fusion, in my I, opinion. I would say calipers are probably the number one tool you should buy if you if you buy a CNC machine. Yeah, and I don't even care what you get. Go to Harbor Freight, get a $10 the pair. the cheapest it ones. It doesn't have to be a, a, a super high-quality one, but to, to find out, and, and I learned that going to Home Depot, you know, nothing is ever what they say no. thickness-wise. And that it, it, sometimes it doesn't matter. Sometimes you cut a little bit deeper if you're just doing a 2D cutout. But like you said, in your case, when you're doing joint fittings and, and all that, it has to be spot on or you're going to get a completely loose fit or on the other end, not fit at all. Yeah. And it's strange here in the States. I know like, uh, you know, if friends that I have or my partners from overseas or whatever, they come over and you say, I'm going to go get a two by four. Uh, it's not two by four. It's an inch and a half by three and a half nominally. So it could vary from that. So that's, you know, it's like, well, then why do you call it a two by four if that's not what it is? I have no idea. I don't know what the answer is to that. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, so when you're, when you're planning something here, like if you're going to build a wall or you're going to build, um, you know, whatever, you have to plan out for the fact that nominal dimensions on lumber is different. Um, you know, you go buy a four by eight sheet of uh, M MDF here and it's usually 49 and a half by 97 and a quarter or something like that. It's not four by eight. It's over. Um, so yeah, never, never take it at face value. What the sign says, always measure it, especially when you're doing dados and joinery and stuff like that with a CNC machine. Um, but, uh, I guess that was kind of a small tip of the week, but yeah, there you go. You know, it just, yeah, it is, it is what it is. But uh, yeah, so we can, um, my plan for you, Bobby would be to, let's design the whole project in Vetric 
and we'll do it as if we're doing a cabinet because it's the same basic concept. And uh, I'll show you how we can model it. And basically, I'll show you what I'm sh I sh you know, teach people to yep. do and they want to do that sort of thing. So we'll come up with something cool. But uh, so, yeah, so that's where we're at, I guess, uh, moving right along. Okay. I have a project. Yay. I'm excited. Yep. And it's square. And it's square. <laughs> yeah. So Greg has a square project. We're all excited for that. Um, yeah. So what else? What were we going to talk about here? Bobby, you've been on the phone nonstop. Um, yeah. So, common theme. Yeah. What do you got? What's, uh, what are people asking you about a lot this week? A lot of customers have been calling, just looking to start out with CNC initially. And the most prominent thing that you hear a lot of new CNCers mention is wanting to make signs. Um, most of the time, it's nothing overly extravagant, but it can just be those basic signs that say, welcome home, uh, mama's kitchen, something along those lines. That's something that I get calls about, honestly, nonstop throughout the work week. Um, so that, that's probably the most prominent application uh, pertaining to this week, at least. And that's something here at Stepcraft, whether it's you, Bobby, Eric, myself on the phone, that's probably the first question out of our mouths is, what do you plan to do with the machine? Exactly. Exactly. It's kind of hard to lead a customer to direction A or direction B without knowing really what they want to get into, where they're leaning towards. Because most people that have been doing this, they all have their own specific application. But for new CNCers, it's, it's always prominent. I want to make signs. I want to sell signs at the farmer's market, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's, I mean, when you get into signs, that could be, we could do a, we could do a podcast episode on you know, 20 so different many types different of ways. signs, um, you know, that people want to do. But yeah, I, um, when I was on the phone a lot more, I'd, it'd be the same thing. Somebody would ask, I want to do a sign. Okay, what kind? Do you want to do a 2D <laughs> profile? Do you want to do a 3D carving? You want to do a V carving? You want to do an inlay? You want to do, um, you know, epoxy pour? What 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 are you looking, how are you going to finish it? What type of material you want to use? Um, you know, one, one of the things I'm working on is um, I was helping a friend with a project that's... Um, made out of HDU sign foam and uh, it's individual letters um, for a sign for the restaurant. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm they're they're finished and they're pa painting them now. Uh, they're going to install them over the weekend. So next week I want to talk about that type of sign, individual letter signs and how do you go about applying them? But I, I want to talk more next week about it. Cause I'll have photos that I could put online so people could see what we're referencing. But uh yeah, I, I mean, HDU, we, we have tons of customers who use HDU. I, I've heard that that is some of the best material to, to cut with. Oh, it absolutely is. It's, um, there's no grain to it. Um, it's not, uh, it'll never, um, it doesn't break down. It doesn't rot. It's weatherproof. It can, you can apply almost any finish to it. You can spray paint it with lacquers and oil base and, and not have it eat away. Um, it, because there's no grain, you can machine it in any direction. Uh, it carves, it's really rigid. Uh, it's, it's a, it's an amazing material to work with. The downside is very, very expensive. Um, you know, a three quarter inch sheet of this materials, I don't know, 300 and something dollars for a four by eight sheet. And, uh, so you, you don't want to mess things up. Um, and we have, we have a lot of customers that do some pretty amazing sign work, um, using, HDU. Uh, it's a great machining product, but I don't recommend if you're new to CNC and you don't really have a lot of experience going out and buying that, 
uh, first because you know when you if you mess something up, it, it gets costly and that costs wasting money tends to discourage people. But it is a very forgiving material. It's very easy to cut, very clean. Yeah, yeah, it's it is. It's very clean. I made one mistake on this project um, with the uh, not surfacing it, and again, I'll get into all the detail on that. But there there's a few tricks to working with it that I found that that works really well. Um, I think a lot of customers that, that I hear about that are starting to do signs, a lot of them will do something with like a, a good quality plywood, um, so like a, uh, a Baltic birch, that type of thing. Um, some people will use hardwoods, you know, to do signs, but it, it really, I guess it really just depends on what it is. I remember, um, when I first started Stepcraft here in the States, we, um, my wife and I went to the big E, the, the big fair up in Massachusetts there. And, uh, I think I'd only, I don't, we'd only been open a few months and there was a booth that had loaded with signs and all they were were like quarter inch thick plywood silhouette signs, all painted black. So it would say, welcome home, welcome our house, you know, whatever, love and all this. And I think somewhere, if you go into our uh, YouTube channel, Go back four, five, six, seven years, I guess. I made a video on how to make one of those signs that said love. I took a picture of it because my wife wanted one and they were selling them for like $35. And I'm like, I I, I looked at it and I'm, I'm like, I'm not spending $35 on this. There's like $3 in material in this and I own a CNC company. Um, no. So I figured out how to do it and did a video and explained to people. And that was back when we our machine lines were, we only had three or four smaller desktop machines. And, um, a lot of people went on, went on to make, you know, make signs like that. Um, but that's the simplest type of sign I can think of, you know, and, and, um, like my, my son has a, uh, metalworking business. He's got a CNC plasma cutter. So he does a lot of signs for people that are simply flat steel and then powder coated. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot you can do with just a basic silhouette sign, you know, without getting super fancy on it. One of the questions I hear Bobby get asked almost every day is, what, what do I need for end mills? You know, what do, what do we need for bits, that sort of thing? Um, <laughs> CNC world, there's a big difference between a bit and an, and an end mill, but... It, it's such an open-ended question. Uh, well, what, it, kind, what, uh, kind, what kind of bits do I need? Well, what are you looking to do? What are you right. looking to create? You know, there's hundreds of different tools out there, each kind of serving its own individual purpose. So just saying, I want to make this, what do I use? Well, I need to know material. I need to know what you're looking to accomplish. It, it's a very open-ended question. You can it go makes for days. all the difference in the world, the exactly. type of bit that you use. Exactly. There are some very specific general bits that I think are good. Like I would say a two-flute, two-flute upcut. Yeah, two flute up cut, two flute down cut. That's one of the most versatile bits. That's that's what I would start a lot of people off with. But then once you start to, you know, we're talking about signs, V bits. Oh my God. Exactly. The amount of different V bits you can get into that will just make the the whole difference in the world. And then you talked about um Baltic birch, we use quite a bit here. So you would do compression end mills. Compression end mills, what the the finish that those will give you on there, um, it, it's unbelievable. It's like a, a whole new machine. Um Yeah, I mean we're we're um I personally, uh, am a big Amana tool fan. And so, you know, 98% of the tooling that we use for projects is from Amana and their li their library of tools is insane. I mean, thousands of different tools, uh, for just about any application, 
but yeah, understanding we, so we, we usually tell people if they're going to, if they're brand new to CNC, it's your first CNC machine, right? And you've never cut anything before. As much as I love Amana tools and, and a customer will, you know, will be like, all right, give me some tooling or whatever. I have a really hard time selling a customer a $30 end mill that, that they're going to break in 30 seconds because they're going to put the decimal in the wrong spot or program the depth wrong or run into a clamp by accident or something. So I always tell people, you know, we're going to set you up with whatever amount of tools you want for any project you're going to do in the future. But for a couple of weeks, do two things, go to Lowe's or Home Depot and pick up a sheet of um, rigid foam insulation board. Um, I think they go through half inch, three quarter, one inch, whatever, pick up a sheet of that and go to Amazon and pick up a set of eighth inch, two flute upcut bits. You get a pack of 10 for $12 or something like that. Um, the bits are garbage. They're not going to be something, there's no way will they compare to anything like an Amana tool or other name but brands. But they'll do the job to start. They will get, get you, you learning. Yeah. And you're, you know, they're going to dull fast and whatever, but when you snap a bit and it only costs you a dollar versus $30, it's, it's, it's a big deal. And we're all about making sure that, um, you know, people are enjoying this and it, it, it gets disheartening when you start, you know, you make a simple mistake and you snap a very expensive bit. And now you got to go out and you got to buy another one. And if you didn't have two, then you got to wait for it to come in. And all these things really start to, to peck away at people's confidence level when they're learning how to use a CNC. So, and if you've never broken a bit, I, I promise you, you've never CNC'd. No. <laughs> yeah. You've, I've broke, I broke half inch bits. We still like, break bits every day here. It, I broke it, one on my first project with Greg when I first started here. Yeah. I, I can mean, almost guarantee you, you will break a, 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 at least a couple bits when you're first and starting. That thing flew it's, it's part too. of the process. It's going to be different reasons too. You're, when you're first learning, it's going to be because you didn't know your feeds and speed settings or you didn't preview your job and you forgot to set your z zero right big one with me when i was starting yeah and you or you you know you didn't realize there's a clamp in the way and you didn't check in your so maybe your tool path goes around the clamp but you might have a a rapid in the air that goes right over the clamp and you didn't set your z high enough to clear it um i tend if i break a bit thankfully it's not that often but when i break a bit 99 percent of the time it's because i'm rushing to do something i'm doing a test for a customer I've got something I got to do real quick and I'm, I've got 50 other things on my plate. So I run in there and I set up the program real fast and I don't double check it. I don't do what I tell our customers to do, which is, you know, dry run the job and all these things. And I started and, you know, instantly it starts and I could see it's doing something, but by the time I go hit the e-stop, it's too late. Um, you know, it doesn't happen often, but it, I even, you know, I do it. Everybody does it. It's, it's pretty defeating when it happens. It when is. it's a $90 bit, it's the I, I just remember walking into Eric's office with a bit that was broken into, and I was like, hey, Ryan. man, I just pulled this out of our Amana tool display. Um, I'll go pack my stuff up. Uh, well, I yeah. broke it. it. It was nice working for you, Eric. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I, I know. And, and having the, the displays in there, it's so easy to just go and grab a tool and put it in. And when somebody's learning, it's uh, I hate it when people do that. Um but yeah, that's where, you know, we always tell people use the foam board for your first project. I wouldn't even use wood because the foam board, you're less likely to break something. It's going, it's rigid enough that if you carve or cut, it's going to hold a shape just like wood, wood, wood. <laughs> um, and uh, I, it's cheap. 
you know, it's cheap to use. And I always tell people, play with that first. Do a couple projects. Do it may out I, of the foam. May I recommend a, a vacuum system? If you're gonna do that, yeah, the yeah, you'd your probably, shop will look like a you'll want to have some globe. dust collection, yeah. Especially um, if you're using like a quarter inch single fluid end mill and foam, you're gonna end up with foam chips, which you, you'll they'll usually build up static and stick to stuff. Um, but when you're using an eighth inch two flute end mill with foam, you're gonna end up with a lot of foam dust. And yeah, having a dust collection system is definitely something. Same goes for MDF. If you're surfacing oh, an MDF yeah. board. Um, if you don't have dust collection, you might as well just. Yeah, it's like being in a snowstorm. MDF dust sticks to everything. Um, it's not great to breathe. It, the dust will stay in the air for an hour. Um, yeah, it's a nightmare. And now for this episode's tip of the week. I had a tech tip lined up for today, um, but along these lines, I think I, I for today's tech tip, I want to bring this up. And I tell this to new customers mostly. When you first get the machine, when you go into UCCNC and load your project, um, the project will come out. Every blue line in UCCNC is what the project's going to cut. That's where the end mill is going to travel to make a cut. What I started doing when I first started here was I would take the, the tip of the cutter, I would zero everything out like you normally would, and I would actually trace those blue lines on the outer edges. I would bring the cutter, because you can see where the cutter is actually going to be. The crosshairs are, yeah. crosshairs in UCCNC. And if you trace just the outsides, you don't have to do every single line, um, especially when you're using clamping and stuff like that, you'll know if you're going to hit something. Because once you come up and you, and you follow where it's going to cut, if it hits a clamp, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, I, I do that every day. Uh, that is one thing I still do is, as much as I run our machines. I will, uh, especially if I have a sheet of material that, let's just say I have a four by four foot piece of, of scrap material and the project that I'm cutting is 47 and a half inches, right? So I zero my lower left corner to the edge, but I have to make sure my sheet is perfectly parallel to the y-axis. If it's slightly off, there's a chance I'm going to run off the edge of the board. Um, so a lot of times what I'll do is just to double check, I'll measure it, I'll make sure everything is good, but I'll go ahead and I'll move you know, my x-axis over to the right and look at the crosshairs and make sure that when I see that the crosshair is past what I'm cutting on the screen, I look and see where my end mill is on the board. If I'm still cutting wood, I'm in good shape. Uh, and then do the same thing for the y-axis. So and your machine will, the, the soft limits will stop your machine if you are going out of bounds. That's one question I get almost every single day here is UCCNC is telling me I'm out of bounds. It's not letting me start the project because right. I am, and we have a video on that on YouTube if you guys just, just search that. Um, that's one of our newest ones we did Um and that will explain kind of what the soft limits are there. And they're there to protect you. They're there to stop the machine from going somewhere that it cannot. So if you accidentally Z0, you know, or, or let's say Y, if you Y0 towards the back of the machine and it detects that it's going to go further than where it should, that's why you're getting that error. And that's what's stopping you from, and the machine's protecting itself because right. it can't reach that region. Um, and it usually it's just because of where you zero, where you start. But that's, in your case, when, when you're doing something along the outer extremities, you have to be kind of dead solid on there. Um, and that's a good point. That's, that's very easy to, the, to understand that the machine's protecting you and protecting itself. But it's funny you mentioned that because I was cutting a job the other day and it, it kept, I kept getting, I was lower left for my um, XY datum and I kept getting an out of limit error. And I'm like, what is going on? And UCCNC will tell you, uh, what you're, what it's looking for. Exactly. And it'll tell you how many millimeters in you're negative off. that you're off. So it was now 
what you could do, and I don't recommend this, but my, my, my gut reaction is cause I'm in a hurry, right. Is just to go in the control panel and disable slough limits. So now I I'm like, well, I know this is right. And, and I'm just going to disable the soft limits. And I always stop myself from doing that because there is a reason why this software is telling me, hey, double check this. And a lot of cases, all I have to do is move a millimeter or two to the left or, or to the front. There is no reason you should ever, ever, have to ever have to disable soft limits. Now, I know in that message, it does say disable soft limits Correct. to continue. But the soft limits are there to protect you. And you are the worst customer I have ever. Yeah, I am when it comes to that sometimes. Oh I just my. disable. I think I gonna... threw up a little bit in the trash can here when you said that. Because <laughs> yeah. they're there to protect you. But and no, that's why I mentioned it because it, it does say it. When the screen pops up, it says you can disable soft limits. And I don't ever recommend doing that. It That error comes. So basically in your profile, the profile for the machine is telling the software how big your X, Y, and Z travel are for that machine. So when you run a job and your job, your machine is four by eight feet and you have a part on your job that's going to be 48 and a half inches, it's immediately going to come up and tell you that it's not going to fit because you're going to run out of space. It looks in the G code and it says that at this point you may be, you know, 49 inches. And it's going to tell you that your soft limit is this certain distance and you are trying to go here. So if the on the 840, for example, the y-axis is 837 units, right. millimeters. If you are trying to reach 838, it's you physically be can't do it. Right. And that's all that message is telling you. Right. And one thing that I know that's common, um, and I know this tech tip is actually not what you were talking about, but this is actually good because one of the things that I've, I've seen with customers do in the past is they'll set their job um, in Vetric, they'll set their job for the datum to be lower left corner. Um, and when I say lower left, I mean front left. Obviously, the machine's not vertical on the wall. It's, I always say front left or lower left. But um, so you, what you're doing is, um, if they if they set the job up for lower left and vetric, but they thought they had center and they center the machine, or if they do vice versa, you know, you set the job up to start in the center of a project, but then you don't double check that. And when you go to run it, you set the datum for the lower left. You're going to get an out of an out, out of balance air. message. Yep. And, and it can be frustrating for some people to be like, I don't understand what I'm doing wrong. And it's as simple as the fact that in your setup in Vetric, you just have to reposition your XY datum to where you actually you, want it to every be. Every project will be a little bit different, but that's the importance of kind of standardizing your workflow. Here we've standardized it so the the lower left corner is what we almost always do on every project unless we don't have that option. But we know that if I look at your file, we know it's going to be standard lower left. Yeah, you most likely. Of, most likely, and that's that's a big tip is pick a spot and and stay with it so that you're not always constantly trying to remember what you set. Yeah. Um, next week we're going to talk about datums and. Uh... Uh, zero in your uh, your Z axis uh, datum as well. I just made a note so because we're we're coming up in forty five minutes here. So, uh, but I we could talk about this forever. But next week we'll talk about uh, datums and and why you would use certain datums and why you might use a Z zero on the surface of the material versus the bed. Um, so we'll discuss that next week um, in in depth. And I know we have some video on that too. So we'll put links up on the show notes. But um, yeah. So if you are getting out of limits errors. Please don't try to bypass anything. It's not the machine. It's not the software. There's, it's just something that you set incorrectly and it's usually fixed 
just by simply looking at the numbers on the screen, it'll tell you what to do. We have you on record, on recording, saying that. Yep. So when you go crash the machine next time you turn your soft limits. Yeah, on, I don't do that. Bring anymore. this up. Yeah, I don't. I don't do that anymore. I I want to, <laughs> especially the, the the little little box that pops up is giving me permission to. <laughs> But uh, I, I do avoid that. And, and it's weird. Sometimes I've had jobs that keep giving me that error and I, I'm doing the math and it's like uh, two tenths of a millimeter is all that's causing it because I, I don't realize that I'm, I'm, I just have to move it over a little bit more and I'm, I'm good to go. So now one, one of the tricky parts about that is your safe Z height. Then we can talk about that next week because that, that can be a little bit different. Yeah. That can, that can give you a little bit of a headache because the, the Z takes into account two different areas, your safe Z in the program and your safe Z in the in the file. Um, but if you're a little bit more interested in that, take a look at our YouTube video, um, the UCC and see out of bounds there. And we explain that. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll, we got, see what I mean? Always tons to talk about. And we sit here and we try to figure out what are we going to talk about today? And then it always takes a little bit different direction, yeah. but, uh, hopefully, um, uh, you all are, are enjoying what we're doing here and you're getting something out of these podcasts. Please, um, do go to the website, think it, make us. And leave us a comment under the episodes um, like Matt did. And we, uh, you know, we really appreciate that. You could also leave comments on the Facebook pages and um, send us an email, whatever, whatever you want. Uh, but we do, we do appreciate the comments and we do use that feedback to help move things along here. And, you know, if we have to course correct, we certainly will. So next week we will talk um, with our projects. We're going to be more in the design stage of each one. So uh, there might be some screenshots or maybe even a video or something that will accompany the podcast so that you can reference what we're talking about. Uh, so I hope to have some visuals put together by then. And, um, hope, you know, today's we're recording this. It's Friday. We usually record on Thursdays. So this episode will come out on Tuesday. So that gives us a few days next week to come up with something and, and, uh, keep moving that along. But in addition to that, yes, we'll talk about, um, datums and zeroing and all of that as well and whatever else might come up during the during the week so i thank you very much for joining us as always and uh, we hope you have a great week and we'll talk to you next week take care everyone see you next week thank you for listening to the think it make it podcast be sure to tune in next time for more great cnc router content <laughs>